of the church Bible. It's from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to the end, entitled The Sheep and the Goats. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did you see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was ill and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or ill, or in present, and did not help you. He will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment and the righteousness to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, give me your words to say. Fill me with your spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Jesus. And be with us this morning as we look at this challenging passage. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, it is a, it's great to be back with you. It's been quite a while since I've been with you, and it's really good to see so many new faces in the, in the congregation, both at, the, at this service and the other two services, which is a really wonderful sign of, of continued growth here. And on behalf of um, All Saints and St. Peter's, but I'm sure my other colleagues in the team, um, our prayers for your process that you're going through at the moment. I'm sure it will lead to the right appointment for you and will lead 
the church forward in mission, although clearly you're already in mission. Um, you're already growing and vibrant, and that was a wonderful um, time of worship that I've just experienced. So it's wonderful to be back with you. This passage, the sheep and the goats, um, as I say, it's a challenging passage because it sort of seems to um, cross all sorts of um, borders in terms of theology. For a start, all the nations are gathered. There's no emphasis on, on trusting in, in Jesus, apparently, or believing in the gospel. Instead, the judgment seems to be simply on the grounds of whether people have done the things that Jesus wants them to do. Um, for example, giving someone something to eat, giving someone something to drink, being a stranger, inviting them in, being, needing clothes and not clothing them, being, in Ill, being ill and in prison and not being visited. So it's, it's a challenging passage, and like many passages in the Bible, um, we, ha we have to take it within the context of the rest of Scripture. It comes at the end of a chapter, Matthew 25, where there are two previous, basically, parables, but also warnings. The parable of the ten virgins, or in our polite version, well, not, nothing rude with the word virgin, but in the Bible version we've got it all saints, we call it the ten bridesmaids. It's all been slightly doctored, but here, here is the, the, the original biblical translation, the ten virgins, which I think is the correct translation. It's about five virgins who have their, their, their light lit, waiting for the bridegroom to arrive, and five who don't. And Jesus is clearly telling people to be on the alert, to be ready for the return of the Lord which is just as relevant today because we are called to be on the alert waiting for the Lord's return. That's what the season of Advent is traditionally about um, in the Church of England starting next Sunday, but it should be in our minds all year. We don't just think about it at Advent, the return of Christ. Then the, t the parable of the talents. And the parable of the talents is about God giving people different amounts, but it's not so much the, how, many, how, much, how many talents they're given as to what they actually do with it. The person that's just given one buries it and um, is severely told off. And people interpret that on different levels, but it's about responding, perhaps, to the, the things that God has given us and making use of them. And here, probably the most... Poignant and powerful of all, the sheep and the goats. Um, the people who are sheep, who do Jesus' works here on earth, who visit the sick, who feed the, um, feed the hungry. Um, I, I, when I trot it off quickly, I say, give food to the thirsty, but I won't say that. Give drink to the thirsty. Visit the uh, lonely in prison and all those sorts of things, and those who don't. And of course, if you build a theology just on that um, passage alone, you are immediately in a gospel of works, which is not what we believe in as Christians. If you simply take it on its own, if you simply say, well, therefore we must go out and do all those things, come on, you know, let's get going, let's get going. I mean, you're already running quite a few programs at this church, but you need to do an awful lot more to incur God's pleasure. And if you don't, well, then you're going to feel really bad. And after the 8.45 service, someone came up to me and said, oh, I feel a bit of a goat myself. And I said, I am too. Um, so it can induce a feeling of goat, uh, not goat trip, guilt trip. <laughs> but should it be called goat trip? Um, that's a good, that was a Freudian slip, a guilt trip. Um, why the sheep and the goats? Well, there's all sorts of theology written about why he would use sheep and goats, because it was clearly a metaphor, even though it's not a parable, it's a metaphor. 
um, it, is a, it is a future warning. Well, because sheep are normally suppliant, they keep together in a group, and they normally follow the shepherd. Goats, though, can be very individualistic. I remember a colleague of mine in, in Liverpool Diocese had goats, and I visited, had them in the garden, and getting them into the garden shed was quite a difficult feat. You know, they would all do their own individual thing, they're all independent, and they'd go their own way. Um, they weren't like sheep, they were all characters. There was nothing wrong with being a character, but I think what the parable is saying is that are we going to be sheep or goats spiritually, and what does that mean? Well, as I say, we mustn't get ourselves into a guilt trip because as the lighthouse was just singing, shine from the inside out that the world we see, that the world may see that you live in me. Ultimately, um, the Christian faith is about letting Jesus shine in us and his grace is the foundation stone behind everything. So as I preach now, I pray that God's grace will work through me and use my words, not my strength, but Christ working in me. As you listen to this sermon, it is the Holy Spirit hopefully working through you that will help connect the words to your heart and change your life. As you think about these words later, hopefully, by God's grace, his Holy Spirit will be at work convicting you. As you go out and do food bank or, or, or beach pastoring or whatever you are doing, it's not your strength of character that makes you stand in front of someone with a beer glass lowering at you. It's Christ's strength in you that gives you the courage to say that um, back to him or her peaceful words of, of bridge building. And in fact, that happened to me just yesterday. I had to confront someone um, in a polite way, and I thought I was about to be beaten up, but luckily I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't, wasn't doing peach pastoring. It was in a different context. So it's Christ working in us. It's not works, it's about grace. But at the same time, we have to take this passage seriously. Because what, what, what could be being said to us if we believe in grace? Well, I think one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, what direction are we facing? Are we facing outward towards others, or is our spiritual experience a spiritual experience that revolves around us and our egos? Now, I have no hesitation in saying this, that in my role as vicar, it is very easy for my life to revolve around me. For example, if you think about what I do, family will ring me about a funeral or a wedding, um, or, or a couple will ring me about a wedding, or someone will ring me about this or that, and, and decision-making is down to me, uh, quite often. Not, not, not choosing their hymns or, or choosing their, their prayers, but it's, it's sort of, I'm put in the driving seat. And each one of you has a task in the church, whether you're a church warden or a worship leader or whatever it might be, or, or you're just simply coming to church, but that's still part of what you do. And it's very easy for the things that we do to become something that we equate with us being in control, with us exhibiting our ministry. So much so that if we're comfortable in it and we enjoy it and we get fulfilment from it, it can become something where, if you, if you see what I mean, almost relying on God or depending on him becomes something that we don't always need. 
And I think it's often the difficult times in our lives, which we all face, which help us to face in the right direction. I once saw um, a couple walking past the vicarage um, door um, along the church street, and they were looking a bit confused. They had a map, and I said, uh, where are you going? And they said, well, we think, we think we're on um, Cranwell Road. Because we came out of the station, we turned right, and we're going towards the harbour. And I said, well, it depends which platform you are heading from. Because if you look at the map of Whitstable Station, there's two exits. So if you go off, if you read the map upside down, you end up walking towards Church Street, thinking you're going to be at the sea. So I said, well, actually, if you turn the map upside down, you'll see you've got rather a lot of walking to do, I'm afraid, back in the other direction. And I think the parable of the sheep and the goats is a warning to us, and I think it's good to have a warning. We must be careful how we couch warnings, because I don't want you to go away tonight, today feeling guilt-induced or goat-induced. Um, I don't want you to go away feeling bad about your Christian life. But I do think that warnings can be good for us, because if we don't get those warnings, we end up becoming spiritually weak and spiritually lackadaisical. And we, instead of walking spiritually, as it were, towards the harbour, we start walking spiritually in the opposite direction. The parable of the sheep and the goats, like the other two earlier, in fact, it's not a parable, I keep calling it a parable, the warning of the, the sheep and the goats, it's a metaphor. Like the two parables that come earlier in that chapter, our warnings us to face in the right direction, to be ready to, to be of service, to be looking out at the people around us, to realise that our Christian experience isn't an experience where we are being called to enter into the most wonderful, pleasurable, joy-inducing, joyride, which is just going to make us feel so happy and so blessed, and that's really the point of it. Now, I believe in all those things. I believe the Holy Spirit gives us joy. I believe the, the Holy Spirit gives us life. I love charismatic worship. I love all those things. But it's the same with traditional people as well, by the way. Traditional, same, exactly the same thing. People can come to traditional worship um, and, and say, you know, they want to come to hear the choir and to experience the reverence. But if that becomes the dominating thing, instead of what we're actually doing with our lives and how we're serving God and how we're living for others, we end up becoming the person on the throne instead of Jesus. We end up being the person about whom it's all revolving around. And as I say, it happens to me as a vicar, so I constantly am catching myself and remembering that it's actually Jesus on the throne, not me, and that I'm called to serve others, and it's the same for all of us. So these warnings, although they are painful, they are good for us, because they stop us from going in the wrong direction, and they help us to go back in the right direction. One of my memories of my early Christian life was when I was at London University, and, I mean, this may seem very cynical, but I had this phrase, the elite in this world and the next to describe some of the Christians I met. I was very cynical in those days, much more than now. But, but, what, but what I was really thinking of was that some of the Christians I met were not really showing the compassion for non-Christians. I don't like using that word very much, but people outside of the church 
They weren't really showing compassion and love for the poor and the hurting. They weren't really showing love for their non-Christian family and friends. They were, they were only meeting with Christians, and they were very pleased that they were going to heaven. And some of them that I met gave the impression they were pretty pleased that the rest of the world wasn't going to heaven. <laughs> and... and so I use this phrase, the elite in this world and the next, because these people were well, public school educated and very wealthy. And because I was, I was just, just become a Christian, I was terrified of becoming like them and becoming that sort of slightly aloof um, spirituality. Well, I don't see any of that here at Sea Salter. I was just thinking, um, at Lighthouse, when some of the things you were doing, you are doing in your ministries was being um, uh, uh, mentioned how you as a church have not had that elitist spirituality, how you have been broken, how you have done lots of ministry, how you have served the poor, how you have given so much away to charity. So congratulations. Congratulations on the fact that you have been living like sheep and not like goats. But at the same time, listen to the warning, because the warning is good for us. The warning keeps us on our spiritual toes to make sure we're looking at the right map and heading in the right direction. When Christ calls a man, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, he bids him come and die. In other words, the experience of following Jesus um, sounds very bleak, but where do we find new spiritual life? Where do we find the joy of the Spirit? It's actually in our own death to the things that, that are carnal and the things that keep us away from God. If only the Christian life was less painful, that's what I often think, but without the pain, the gain is just not possible. Christianity is not for wimps, as so many people in the world seem to think that being a Christian is just a soft option. No, it's not. If you are going to follow Jesus and follow his ways, then that calling to follow him will lead you into difficult situations. Visiting the prisoners, feeding the hungry. Maybe what would be the equivalent of where we are in our own contexts. Perhaps going to someone we know in our family or amongst our friends who we found difficult and trying to serve them in some way. Perhaps someone in our own congregation that we've fallen out with. Perhaps going up to them and saying... Well, not saying to them, I forgive you, <laughs> but showing them um, that you forgive them. I remember being at a youth hostel once in my early Christian days and saying to this guy who'd really annoyed me, I forgive you. And <laughs> it led to far more tension between us <laughs> than had previously been the case. So, so what would be the equivalence of the way we could be sheep in our own context? What ways are we appropriating the Spirit for our own blessing instead of, yes, letting that blessing flow through us, but thinking of ways in which we can direct that blessing onto others? So, just to... I can't remember what time the, um, the children come in, but um, just, just to... About quarter two or ten to... That sort of time, okay. So, just to say, as I sort of start sort of bringing things together, um, how does this work? I just want to reflect briefly how this works theologically. 
the experience of saying, I am forgiven by Jesus, I am loved by Jesus, I am, I am, I am in a relationship with Jesus, means that we are brought ever closer to the person of Jesus. When we don't live the life that is outward-facing, when we don't live a life that is focused on others, the word Christ, or the word Jesus, still has significance for us spiritually, but we're no longer being transformed into the person that God wants us to be. And here is the link, really, what I'm trying to say, between grace and works. Because there's been this battle over centuries between these two things, you know, grace versus works, which is it? Are we meant to do things? Are we meant to be more grace-centred? And, and people have seen a conflict between the two. And, um, you know, you all will know that Paul's letters talk a lot about grace. And then there's con- controversy in James's letter where he talks about works. Faith without works is dead. I think it's actually a lot more simple than that. If we are going to move on in our Christian faith and call out to the God of grace, the God who is there in Jesus, and we're serious about that, then his spirit, which is the spirit of Jesus, will will make us want to do those works because he's at work in us. So if Jesus is, is living in your heart, it's not so much you go off and do the street pastor because you think, I, I really need to be a better Christian, so I, in order to do what that says, I need to sort of go back to that and then tick the box, and then I ought to go off and do it. It's not so much that. It's more that this middle, if you can imagine a middle zone between grace and works, it's, it's, it's in this middle zone where the grace of Jesus is affecting you and changing you, that his love starts filling you with his presence And that then makes you want to go off and do the works. Does that make sense? So it's not so much that the works is something you do out of guilt or because you think, oh, Simon said we ought to. You know, I ought to go off and do street pastors. It's it's that if you want Jesus to become more part of you and part of more of me, his spirit will change us to becoming people that want to do these things. So that when someone difficult knocks on our door, perhaps not don't let them in, but don't respond in an unchristian way. Or if someone jostles you in Sainsbury's or Tesco, you know, you're full of the Spirit's grace so you can react in the right way rather than snap back. Or someone in your family or in your marriage perhaps or, or some context where the Spirit of Jesus has changed you, that then leads to works. They're not, in a way, they're not separate. They're all together. And they're all part of the same thing. Um, That's why James says faith without works is dead. Because it's all very well saying that we love Jesus or that we follow God. But if it's not being changed into action, then that is where the change is. Let me just finish uh, by, by talking about a story that happened to me. In fact, I've had two of these, but I'll just tell you one of them. Um, walking along a, a beach in, in Spain with my wife, and this, these two chaps came up to me and said, oh, would you like to fill out one of these cards? And we did. And um, I filled out the card, and they said, they, they said to each other, Have you, they pretended to whisper to each other, 
And they said, you're the first one that's won this prize since we arrived here back in October last year. And I said, now, you're not having me on, are you? He said, would we have you on? I said, I said, yes, I think you would. I said, no, you. So we got in this car. We were driven up to this, um, this place. And they said, there we are. There's your prize. Just through there. Go through that door. We went through the door. And there we were. And this man started trying to sell us timeshares. And I said, well, when, well, when's the prize coming? I can't remember what it was, a car or something. Not that we really needed a car in Spain at the time, but whatever it was, or was it a free holiday? And they said, oh, no, you'll be entered into that draw um, for, the, for this. And, of course, I knew, but stupidly, I just played along with the people on the beach. I never will again. But they were very convincing actors. That is something of the parable of the sheep and the goats. People who, who, who say a lot and, and, and have a huge you know, um, language about what they're doing, but when it comes to reality, what is there there? That's where the warning is. And that's why I think each one of us needs to look in our hearts today and say, are we trying to live for others? Are we trying to face outwards? Are we trying to be sheep? It is a warning. But let's take it with a grace that it's given. But nonetheless, let's heed that. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Shall we stand?